You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. A few years before becoming pastor of CCA, uh, Annette and I, we were the worship leaders, and it was good to just lead our church family in worship again. I haven't done it in a while. Uh, So if my voice starts to fade in the middle of the sermon, that's why, okay? Um, It's weak after not being able to sing uh, or not singing as long. Um, but, But music and leading people in worship through music is one of my passions. I love it so much. Uh, it's that same passion that actually led to one of my other passions, which is my wife, Annette. Um, that's how we met, and, and um, I'm passionate about my wife, like, rrr, passionate, right? <laughs> and as we drew closer to God in, in leading worship together, he drew our hearts closer together, and here we are today. We're married, we've got two awesome boys, and hopefully a little girl on the way, um, so... <laughs> We will find out any day. We went the blood test route, right? We didn't want to wait 20 weeks to figure it out. So we should know any day if it's a little girl. Um, So a few years ago, uh, some would say that that I was living the dream, right? Married to an amazing woman, leading worship alongside her in an amazing church family that we both just love so much. And, And God actually met us in our church family on several occasions in that, that atmosphere of, of worship. I mean, he always does, but, but this Sunday, it was just something different. Um, the, just the spirit and presence of God was so thick and rich that our, our previous pastor, Pastor Dave Ferrari, he just threw out his message, and we just worshiped the entire service. And some of you might be like, worshiping for a whole hour and a half, please, let's not do that, right? But if you were there, if you're in the midst of it, you just you felt the power of God. It was just so incredible. And one of my passions is to help people see the beauty and the value and the power of worshiping God through singing. But a few years ago, I, I noticed that that passion, it started to dwindle. Uh, what I once uh, got so excited about, I now started to dread. I would wait till the very last possible minute to pick songs for the week. I wouldn't practice my craft at home. Um, I didn't even want to listen to worship music in my own free time. I would lead our church family on Sunday mornings uh, with everything that I had, but on the inside, uh, I felt disconnected, overwhelmed. I would even say empty in those moments. And, and on Sundays when we would have someone else lead, we did that occasionally, um, I would initially be excited that I got to be off stage and just be with the church family worshiping. But when it came time to sing and worship, those same feelings just returned. I felt disconnected, overwhelmed, and empty. Right? I knew something was wrong. Uh, but I didn't quite understand what it was. I couldn't even put words to what was happening. Because one part of me was still passionate about leading worship, but the other part of me was just done, ready to to let it all go. I even sat down with Pastor Dave and I talked to him, what would this look like if I were not the worship leader anymore? Because I was just finished. So for me, it was my, my passion of leading worship, but what about you? What about you? What have you had such a great passion for that one day you suddenly found yourself passionless about? Right? Or, or maybe for you, 
Maybe once you had a dream. Maybe it's a dream of having an amazing husband and a family, and whenever that dream got close, you, you pushed it away out of fear or something like that. Or when it finally did happen, you felt disconnected and, and empty. Or maybe um, you left college and you were feeling energized and innovative, right, in your field, and you're ready to just shake things up, change the world, but after a few years, you found yourself irrelevant. You had fallen into a compromise that caused you to lose your job. These kinds of things are real life, and they happen to people every single day. People you know and love and that you're close to, it happened to me a few years ago. It might even be happening to you right now. And usually, it's totally unexpected. We didn't see it coming. We didn't see the, the burnout before it hit. We, didn't, uh, we never expected to be in a morally compromising situation. We never believed we could feel so empty doing something that we loved so much, but it happens, right? It happens. How? How do we get to that place? Well, that's the big question we're gonna face as we begin to uh, go through our third and final book in our summer reading series. Have you enjoyed the summer reading series? Yeah, it's been good, awesome. Um, Well, this week we're going to take a dive into our last book called Didn't See It Coming uh, by Carrie Newhoff. That's a fun name. Everybody say that name, Newhoff. Yeah. Um, Where in his book he tackles seven of the greatest challenges in life no one expects but everyone experiences. And he talks about um, how if we are not careful, those obstacles can take us out, take us out of leadership take us out of our our calling, take us out of even our relationships. But together, we're only gonna go through five. Uh, Not that the two we're not going over aren't important. They're still important, all right? Um, Just for time's sake, we're gonna go through five, and you'll just have to read the book. Uh, It looks like this, very much like that. Um, But I highly recommend picking up this book. You can follow along as as we go through. Uh, But a little bit about the author, Kerry Newhoff. Uh, he, He started his career as a lawyer, And after working in the field for about a year, um, he felt a calling to be a pastor. So there's hope for lawyers, absolutely. Um, And now he he lives in Canada where he took over a dying church and grew it to be, by Canadian standards, a mega church. So there's hope for Canadians too. Um, But Canada, it's a very post-Christian culture, much like uh, the northeast of America is. Right, so to have a megachurch in that area, that, that's a pretty big feat. It's a, it's a rare thing. And after a few days of pastoring, he started his incredible podcast called the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, uh, where he interviews a wide spectrum of people like church leaders, business leaders, uh, politicians, authors, well-known strategists and thinkers of the day, and all of it is just so amazing. Uh, if, if I, I, I've listened to many of his podcasts, and every time I hear it, I leave with something to apply to my life or to my calling. Um, I've even tried to not like his podcast, where I'll hear like the title and the, the subject matter. I'm like, who is this, right? Th- this topic seems so dumb, but after I'm done with it, I'm like, holy crap, that was amazing. If you go to church where they don't say crap, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. But anyways, um, it's so good, and I highly recommend that you listen to his podcast, uh, maybe on your way to work uh, or during your workout if you're looking for some kind of leadership uh, podcast. But Kerry, he's also written a few books, uh, and Didn't See It Coming is his fourth, fourth book, most recent book. 
And it's probably his most personal book where he writes about his own experiences as a church leader, personal experiences that he didn't see coming that almost took him out of ministry, took him out of his calling. Um, Things like pride, things like disconnection, irrelevance, and burnout that nearly just took him out. And we'll talk more about some of those in the coming weeks. But, but this week, um, we're going to look at one that's called cynicism. Cynicism. So the title of today's message is Kicking Cynicism in the Teeth. Kicking Cynicism in the Teeth. Uh, because while these challenges are real, hope is also real. Right? This isn't just going to be a doom and gloom kind of series. There, there's, there's hope. There are signs to look out for. Things that we can do to guard against some of these challenges that every single one of us will face in life and we don't have to worry about them taking us out. We can overcome. We can fulfill and be effective in the calling that God has on our lives. But before we move on, uh, let's just go to God in prayer one more time. Father, we look to you this morning, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We look to you and, and say, would you just show us Everything that we need to see today, whether, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, God, I pray that you would meet us in this place. Holy Spirit, would you carry the words that I speak directly to the hearts of everyone here? Lord, in whatever's not of you, would you let them fall to the ground? But God, I believe that you have truth for us this morning. Would you help us to receive it? We thank you, God. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, this past week, Miles, our five-year-old, he started first grade, and Oliver, he went back to daycare. And many of you parents, same thing happened. I just want to congratulate you. You made it through the summer. woo Kids are back in school. Hallelujah. Um, and whenever we dropped Ollie off at his daycare, the teacher asked us to make a dream sheet for him. Uh, to write down our hopes and dreams for Ollie uh, during this next school year. So Annette, being awesome, she wrote down some really heartwarming things. Like um, she wanted Oliver to, to grow in his love for his friends and his teachers and to also grow in his desire to learn and explore. Right? That's single kind of tear stuff right there. Um, and then the teacher taped Ollie's dream sheet to the dream wall where there were the rest of the classmates, where they had posted their dream sheets. And you want to know something really interesting that I discovered, really interesting. Uh, None of the dream sheets said, I hope my child grows up to be jaded and distrustful of humanity. (laughs) Or I hope they become cynics that, that lead to strained and broken relationships. Isn't that interesting that none of them said, no, it's not interesting, because what kind of monster would hope that for their child, right? And the truth is that no one starts out life as a cynic. No one. No one desires cynicism as one of their core traits, right? On the dating apps, you don't put that as one of your characteristics to draw a mate. No, you don't do that. Um, No one starts out having an overall suspicion that people around them can't be trusted or that things will never turn out the way they hoped and dreamed and expected they would. But that's what cynicism is. And you know people like this in your own life. When I first became a pastor and started seeking advice from older, more seasoned pastors because I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. There you go. Um, And I was shocked to see the amount of cynicism in my fellow pastors, followers of Jesus. 
Right? They would never say outright that they were cynical, but they would say things like, you better be careful about who you get close to in your church. Some of them would even say, you better not make any friends in your church because they'll just break your heart and let you down. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Or, or maybe you've seen this in your own field. Right? Young professionals who enter the workforce excited and almost idealistic. and They're going to shake things up. They're going to change the world. But after a few short years of not seeing much change or seeing the world in its true colors, that idealism is transformed into cynicism. You see, cynicism is no respecter of age, gender, race, ethnicity, or religion. It can happen to anyone. Now, here's some other ways that cynicism can rear its ugly head. Tell me if you've met people like this before. Right, that friend who's had her heart broken many times and now thinks no man can be trusted. Right? Or your optimistic college roommate who went into investment banking and now they think that all of them are just in it for themselves and that's why they're in it as well. Right? Or what about that police friend or that first responder friend who's seen just too many things, right? seen the worst of people and now they just have no hope for people at all. Or that teammate at work who shoots down every idea you bring to the table, instantly listing the many reasons why it just won't work. All right, we've all experienced cynicism in other people before. We've all experienced it. You can think of the cynics in your own life right now. And the most surefire way to allow cynicism to creep in and set in your heart is to think, but not me. But not me. No, I would never go there. Never do that. But the truth is, it could absolutely happen to you. The truth is, there is a cynic inside each one of us right now waiting to just come out. They might have really good reasons to come out. Right? Cynicism isn't just something that other people experience. It's something we can experience for ourselves as well. Uh, and it can vary in time when it finally shows up in your life, but it will happen to everyone at some point in life. Am I being a cynic here in this moment? Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Right? And here's what many people discover. And what Carrie says in the book is that, that the optimism of your teens and 20s often gives way to the realism of your 30s. Right? When you're a teenager and you're ready to get out of high school so you can go to college or enter the workforce, you're, you're excited and optimistic. Or when you graduate college and you begin a family or you enter the workforce, you're excited and optimistic. Right? But as time goes by and you hit your 30s, you look back on your teens and 20s and you're like, how childish of me to think life would really be that way. How childish. And realism alone isn't bad. Realism alone isn't bad. It's good to have realistic expectations, but if it's not handled properly, realism will quickly turn into the abyss that is cynicism. I know for me, um, as a pastor, the, the potential for cynicism revolves mostly around people. I truly do have high hopes for everyone that I, I meet. I try to think of, of the, the best for everyone. I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Um, I'm the, the kind of annoying person who, if you come in and complain to me about somebody else, I'll probably say something like, well, maybe they're so on edge because they're going through a hard time. Right, wouldn't you be on edge too if you were battling cancer or right, battling divorce? And I know people get annoyed when I say things like that, but I don't care. Um, 
But when people, right, when people show up to church and they make promises to be involved and be connected, uh, but they end up just wanting to use the church and the resources for their own personal gain, it can be hard to not get cynical. Right? Or, or when I take time to mentor and disciple people and they end up leaving the church because they say they found something better, it can be hard to not get cynical. Or when I give so much and pour so much into someone, or we as a church do that for someone, and then they turn around and say, you don't do enough for me. Oh, it can be hard to not get cynical. That hurts. Right? And it can be hard to, to keep wanting to pour into people. It can be hard to want to see new people come to the church because I'll think, man, they'll, they'll just wind up leaving. Right? And that's the way cynicism starts. Cynicism starts, get this, not because you don't care, but because you do care. It's because you do care. Right? You want to serve people. You want to see the best in everyone. You want to, the end result to, to turn out as something good. So you pour into that person or project at work. But when it just seems like you're getting started, all of a sudden things turn and you don't see the result you want to see. Right, maybe somebody leaves or right, the person who got the raise or the promotion, they don't work nearly as hard as you do, so why even try? Why try? And what you'll find is that most cynics are former optimists. Most cynics are former optimists. Most people start out enthusiastic, excited, wanting to give and serve others, wanting to pour out their talents and energies into something, wanting to work hard, so what happens that leads to the cynicism that everybody can face? All right, what happens to make someone go from being an optimist to a pessimist? Positive to negative, hopeful to all doom and gloom. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, there are three things uh, that can happen in someone's heart along the way that causes more and more cynicism to just pile up onto each other. And the first one is that uh, people just know too much. People know too much, not so much intellectually, um, but just about life, right? Their experiences. It's true that knowledge is power. We've all heard that before. But knowledge also has the great potential to, to sadden or discourage you. And one of the wisest men in the world had some really great insight into knowledge, uh, and thankfully, he wrote down his thoughts in a book, um, and we have that book in our hands if you have a Bible. Uh, so go ahead and open up your Bible to the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Ecclesiastes, somewhat towards the middle of your Bible if you have a physical Bible. If you don't have a Bible but would like one, we've got some on the back table. Take one of those. That's our gift to you, uh, and use it to just gain knowledge of God. As you're turning there, Solomon he was one of the, the greatest kings Israel ever had. And he was also one of the wisest men to ever live. And listen to what he says about life and knowledge in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 2. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2. Solomon starts out saying, Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. How encouraging. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. 
The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Now, is this King Solomon writing or it sounds more like Eeyore from Winnie the, Winnie the Pooh, right? <laughs> verse 9. Verse 9. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but they're wrong. It's actually old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past. And in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. You've heard of uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Well, Ecclesiastes is like uh, the cynic's guide to the galaxy. You can just read that one. Uh, Verse 12. He continues, I, the teacher, was king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Now, I have a question. Why don't we see these verses, like, on Instagram or Facebook, right? Or I don't think this has ever been the quote of the, or verse of the day in the YouVersion Bible app, right? No fancy pictures behind it, no. Um, verse 15, what is wrong cannot be made right. What is missing cannot be recovered. I said to myself, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. Verse 18, this is the kicker. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Wow. Sorrow, hurt, Cynicism, it has the potential to creep into your life simply because you know too much. And do you know why we are so happy and optimistic and energetic as kids? It's because we're stupid, right? All of us were stupid as kids. We didn't really know what real life was about, right? What the real world was, what was happening in it. I saw a meme the other day. Um, uh, Is it a meme or a meme? Meme? Okay, meme. Uh, GIF or GIF? GIF. 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 I say GIF, yeah. Um, All right, but I saw this meme the other day, and and it had uh, the question, what was the dumbest thing you ever wished for? And the response was, as a kid, I wished to be grown up. Isn't that so true? Isn't that so true? Right? To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. You were optimistic about dating, but now you've had your heart broken more than once. You tried to do something good for someone, but they took advantage of you. Right? You looked up to that pastor or leader, but they let you down. You put all of your money and life savings into that new business venture, but it just collapsed and failed on you. You know too much, too much about life, too much about people. And unfortunately, when you're living in a broken world with broken people, that's just the way it is. And the older you get, the more you know, which is why cynicism and old age often go hand in hand. Am I I depressing anyone yet? Okay, 
Uh, I'm not trying to. I promise there is hope. There is hope. Uh, But we have to linger in this space for a moment and truly understand cynicism and its impact. So so is that it? Is the only cure to cynicism to just be dumb, right? (laughs) To, To unlearn everything we've learned and experienced in life or to escape from reality and shut ourselves off from people and the world. Some of you are like, that sounds pretty good, right? And that's what cynicism does. That's what it does. And this is what cynics start to sound like because they know know too much. They say things like, well, I know how this story ends, right? When they meet somebody new, it's like, well, I know where where this is going. I know what's going to happen. I remember whenever I was was young and, and knew how life was going to be or thought I knew how life was going to be, and boy, was I wrong. Right, that honeymoon phase, I promise you it's going to wear off. That new job and new boss, right, just give it a few months, you'll see. Cynics catch on to patterns in life, right? patterns of hurt and sorrow. And you know what? Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they have good reason to be cynics. Because we do live in a broken world with broken people. And here's what cynicism does. It snuffs out hope. It snuffs out trust. It makes you not want to believe in people anymore. And look what cynicism does if you don't keep it in check, all right? Tell me if you've ever done this before in your relationships, in your career, or in life in general, right? You start projecting your past failures onto your future situations, right? Never. And that's the second thing that happens uh, that starts building cynicism in people's lives, right? We start projecting our past failures onto future situations, whether they were your own failures or someone else's. And what that can lead to for, for me is that if I'm not careful, is that anytime I see someone who reminds me of someone else who left the church or abused the church, I start to think, well, I better watch out. I know where this is going. I know what's going to happen here. Or if we put together some kind of event, we've done this in the past, and, and this event fails miserably, right? From that point on, I'm like, no more events, right? Event becomes a trigger word, right? You want me to do what? An event? No, it's going to fail, right? Maybe for you, it's every time a new boss comes into work. The last one was a jerk. This one's going to be a jerk too. Or in your relationships. I've had my heart broken too many times. I've been taken advantage of too many times. So when new people come into your life, you close off to them. Or when new opportunities come into your life, you say, nope, that's all right, I'm okay. You start projecting your past onto your future. And sometimes even before they begin. Even before they begin. I see where this is all going to go. I know how the story ends, but here's another way to look at this second point. Not only do we project our past failures onto our future situations, but the hurt of your past can pronounce a death sentence on your future. You feel stuck in life that you can't go anywhere. You stop hoping, you stop trusting, you stop believing, and you basically close your heart because if I don't let anyone in, then I can't get hurt. 
When I was deep in my pornography addiction, I've shared that before, that, that was a struggle in my life. Um, I think the number one reason I remained stuck in it was because I closed my heart to people. Right? Instead of opening my heart and talking about my issues with other men, which would have been helpful, I closed my heart. But why? It's because in the past when I did open up and shared what was going on in my life with other men, they let me down. They made promises that they would walk with me and it, they would help me and it never happened. You see, that's the scary thing about cynicism is that there are legitimate reasons to be cynical. Right? Every cynic has a legitimate reason to be cynical. So me feeling justified, I closed my heart. Didn't talk to anyone about my struggles uh, because, right, what's the point? What's the point? But here's what happens when you close your heart. All right, if you close your heart to people, then you close your heart to God. If you close your heart to people, then you close your heart to God. That's the third thing that will just kind of nail, uh, put the nail in the coffin for cynicism. All right, because spiritually speaking, your heart isn't something that can be soft in some places and hard in others. Or your heart, you can't open your heart in some places for God and leave it closed to people and others. It just doesn't work that way. Because oftentimes, God is going to use people to meet you where you are. God's going to use new opportunities, right? And if we close our hearts to people, then we close our hearts to God. And if you're a Christian, I'm not saying that, that if you close your heart, I'm not saying you're not a Christian anymore. But what's going to happen is that God's going to be standing there, knocking on the door of your heart, saying, let me in. Right? I can't get in either because you've closed your heart completely. Right? I can't get to where I need to get. What happened? You used to be open to me. I have this word of wisdom to help you in your situation, but, you've, but it's from this wonderful man or woman of God, but you've closed your heart off to people. I have an answer to your prayer or I have provision for you, but you have to go after this new opportunity, but you can't because you've closed your heart off to it. You see how nasty cynicism can be? So you stop trusting, you stop believing, you stop hoping, and that's where some of you are today. If you really looked inward and you did a self-diagnosis, you'd see that that's where you are. You're closed. You've stopped believing, you've stopped hoping, you've stopped trusting. And you know what? You probably have a really good reason because of it. Right? And I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But here's what we need to understand. And it's that cynicism is a choice. It's a choice. Cynicism doesn't happen to you, right, like getting the flu. No, cynicism is a choice that you make or you don't make, right? Life doesn't make you cynical. You make you cynical. Other people don't make you cynical. You make you cynical. It's a choice, right? Sure, some bad things might have come into your life that you didn't want, but again, you can choose in that moment and say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be cynical. I am preaching it. Thank you. <laughs> right, so, so what do we do? What do we do? Right, as we go through this book and we look at these five didn't see it coming obstacles, um, we'll also look at the antidotes. We're thankful for antidotes, right? Um, for each of them. So there is hope. And for today, the antidote to cynicism is this. 
Cynicism melts under the relentless hope of the gospel. Cynicism melts under the relentless hope of the gospel. Now, what's the gospel? All right, we're going to get basic. I don't want to assume everybody understands that word. Well, the gospel is the good news that Jesus came, lived the perfect life we couldn't, died the death we should have, and rose from the dead for our benefit, for our good. All right, so that we don't have to die for the punishment of our sin, but we can have everlasting life. That's the good news. And that's what Jesus did for all of us. So when you are dead in your sin, Jesus, who is sinless, died for you in your place, and that triggered life for all of humanity. Right? Humanity as a whole was in the worst possible condition, but Jesus changed all of that. Right? Death to life, sickness to healing, oppression to freedom, brokenness to wholeness, right? That's the good news, the gospel of Jesus, the central message of the gospel. So when we apply the gospel to cynical hearts that have stopped hoping, stopped trusting, stopped believing, the gospel says, no, you can hope again. You can trust again. You can believe again. Because if Jesus can turn everything around, then with him in your life, you can turn things around too. Right? So, so we need to take that cynicism that starts to take root in our hearts and we need to make a choice in that moment. Am I going to close my heart to people and new opportunities and also to God? Or am I going to trust the gospel? And for me, after living right, years in secret because of my, my sexual brokenness, right, thinking there was no way out of my addiction because I'd closed my heart off to people who were saying, yes, there is hope, there is goodness, there's hope. Right, and I finally saw where it was leading me. It was leading me deeper into my addiction. So I started to open up. I read the scriptures and I remembered the relentless hope of the gospel that we're talking about. I read instruction in the Bible that says, hey, you should talk to somebody about what you're going through and you'll receive healing because of it. And instead of thinking, well, I've done that and it didn't lead anywhere, instead I decided to trust again. I opened up to someone and guess what? God met me in that place and I finally started to find freedom and healing again. God worked through that person and I started to believe again. And I know all of that sounds easy. That's a very condensed version of my story. Um, but I'll admit it wasn't easy. It was incredibly difficult. Because to open up to other people means that you have to put your heart out there again after having it broken so many times already. Right? And could your heart be broken again if you put it out there? Yes, there's that chance. But get this. The majority of the people in your life aren't out to hurt or break your heart, right? They are trying to avoid the exact same thing you are, right? Trying to do their best to be good people. So out of the one in 20 or even the, the one in 100, yes, the risk of hurt is out there, but so what? Because there is so much more good than hurt that comes from hoping again, trusting again, believing again. And because even in the midst of hurt and pain and struggle, the gospel says that there's hope. And Jesus knows this better 
than any of us ever will, right? For it was the joy, the hope, the pleasure of salvation for all of humanity that enabled him to endure the cross, the pain and the shame of the cross. It was all of that hope, right? And you are that hope. It was all that hope that enabled him to endure betrayal, right? Being denied by his own followers and being let down by the people he opened his heart to. But he held on to hope. He held on to the the knowledge of all the good that God had for him and the rest of humanity. So in a way, yes, knowledge can lead to sorrow and cynicism. But greater knowledge of God and his ultimate good for people, that leads to hope. That leads to hope. All right, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. You can turn there quickly if you have, have a Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, right? he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus, who, if you know early church history, the people had a very good reason to be closed off to other people. Because if you know Roman history, they hated Christians at this time. Right? They were being persecuted, right? killed, murdered for their faith. But Paul finds this group of people and they have this incredible love for the people around them. They're not closed off and cynical. They're open, right? And he continues in verse 16 saying, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly asking God, the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Verse 18 I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So yes, where Paul, or sorry, Solomon said knowledge leads to sorrow, Paul is saying but knowledge of God leads to an incredible hope and love for the people around you. Because when we know God well and we know the gospel well, then there's no way we can be cynical. Like the gospel and the hope of that overrides cynicism. The relentless hope of the gospel melts cynicism. And Paul keeps going in verse 19. He says, I also pray that you will understand or have knowledge of the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. And this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This right here is huge. The rest of what we just read means nothing if we don't have this verse right here. This knowledge of God, knowledge of the gospel, knowledge of the power of God, it's offered to everyone who believes in him. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is offered to those who believe. And you gotta wrap your mind around the power of that. Right, so what does that mean for us? Because some of you might be thinking, Pastor Kai, you just don't know how bad my life is. You don't know what I've been through. And you're right, I don't. But I've been hurt too. And I know that pain that you've been through. But I can promise you that if you put your trust 
and your hope and your belief in Jesus, then the same power that turned death into life is the same power that's at work in your life right now, in your circumstances right now. Right? And when we hope and trust and believe in the gospel, cynicism can't take hold in our hearts. Right? It's the power of God at work in you. Now, all of, my, all of that might sound really big, right? Just completely trusting in God, completely hoping in Jesus, believing in him, right? And you're right, it is big. It's awesomely and wonderfully big. But if that sounds too intimidating right now, here's something else for you to chew on and think about, right? Something practical, a life hack, if you will, all right? And that will help overcome cynicism in your life, right? Something practical, something stupidly simple, all right? It's this. This week, I want you to be curious. That's it, right? Be curious because if you observe the world and people long enough, what you'll find out is that uh, cynical people are never curious and the curious are never cynical. Cynical people are never curious and, and the curious are never cynical, Because according to everything we've talked about cynics today, right, they think they already know everything that they want to know, right? They already know how the story ends. They already know what people are like and how the world works. Their hearts are closed off to people and new opportunities and to God. So how can they be curious? But curious people are like, huh, that's interesting. Tell me more. I want to ask more questions about this. And what I've noticed personally is that when I've got someone figured out, or I think I have someone figured out, because, you know, I've met them before in my past, I've actually totally misjudged them. And I've already strained the the relationship at that point. But if I act as though every relationship is new, and I ask questions, right, tell me more about yourself, Tell me more about your views. Even though I don't agree with you, tell me more about your thoughts and why you think that way. And when I believe again, and I trust again, and I hope again, and I engage my curiosity, even if I have to force curiosity, I find that it melts away that cynicism trying to take root in my heart. I have better relationships with people around me. I'm more open to doing new things because I'm not projecting my past on my future. And in a way, I can become like a a happy, dumb little child again because I'm just asking questions. By being curious. Maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So this week, your homework, be curious. Instead of thinking you always have the answer, how about you ask more questions? Right? When you read your Bible about God's blessings and promises for your life, instead of thinking, oh, that doesn't apply to me, how about you ask instead, God, how does this apply to me? Right? Be like a child. Play dumb. Children are way more happy than most adults, and I think there's a reason because of that, Right? Cultivate curiosity in your life. Be open to new friendships and opportunities, right? You don't need to be a Christian to believe that that's good for you, right? Learn something new. Read a new book. Watch a YouTube video on on how to skydive or whatever you want, but engage your curiosity. The more questions you ask, the more curious you become, 
the more knowledge you have of God and the hope of the gospel, the more that cynicism doesn't stand a chance to take root in your heart. So church family, let's hope again. Let's trust again. Let's believe again. Be curious again. And let's kick cynicism in the teeth in the meantime, right? Worship team, you guys can come on up. And as they're coming up, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and would you just pray with me? Just take a few moments and and allow everything that's been said to just sink into your mind, sink into your heart. And allow God to begin to work on you. God, I, I just, I thank you. God, I thank you for Carrie Newhoff and just the wisdom and knowledge that you've given him that he would share in a book. God, I thank you for King Solomon, the wisdom you've given him and we can learn from. God, I thank you for Paul and all of his writings. God, I thank you for meeting us right here in this place where we are. And God, right now, I I just, I want to pray for everyone in this room who has wounded hearts. Everybody who's been hurt by other people. Everybody that's gone through failure and they've just been so wounded by it. God, I pray for those people right now. And I pray for your healing. God, I pray that you would close those wounds, stitch them back together, restore broken hearts. But God, I I pray that also in that moment, you would open hearts to people again. That you would open hearts to new opportunities. And you would open hearts to God, to you again. Father, would you bring that healing? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's what you're experiencing right now in this season. Would you just receive that healing in your life right now? Believe that God can make something new. And I also just want to pray against fear about past circumstances. Because I know that a lot of cynicism is driven by fear of what has happened in the past, that it will happen in the future. So God, I just pray against that fear right now. And I pray that you would meet us in this place and show us that we don't have to choose cynicism. We can choose the hope of the gospel right now. And God, I pray that 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 hope of the gospel would ring loudest in everyone's heart. That we would see, Jesus, what you did on the cross for us. And we would see that we can hope again. We can trust again. We can believe again. And I also want to give space for anyone here who's, you've never opened your heart to receive God and to receive the gospel for yourself. Or maybe you believed in God in, in the past, but life happened and you've hardened your heart to Jesus. But after today, 
You know God is there, and I believe that's happening for some here today. You know God is there. He's knocking at the door of your heart, and he's saying, it's okay. Give me a chance. You can let me in. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20, listen to what Jesus says. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. And when you make the decision to open your heart to God, to the gospel, it's the ultimate act of curiosity. It's the ultimate act of curiosity. You're saying, I don't have all the answers. I have more doubts than anything else, but I'm curious. So Jesus, come into my life. Show me the way. So if that's you, all that I'm asking of you this morning, all Jesus is asking you today is to be curious. Invite Jesus into your heart, into your life, and let him show you the gospel that will ultimately melt all of that cynicism in your heart. So again, if that's you and you want to let Jesus into your life today, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. And you just say these words with me. Jesus, I invite you into my heart because I don't want to be hardened. I don't want to be closed off and cynical anymore. I want to be curious. I want to trust and hope and believe again. And Jesus, you are the only one who can do that for me. So thank you for living, dying, and rising for me. I believe and I accept you today. Amen. Amen. And finally, I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the message today by uh, taking communion. And as you take the bread and the juice, which are symbols of Jesus' broken body and his shed blood, remember that he had every right to be cynical up there on that cross. But instead, he chose hope. And you are Jesus' hope. So as you take communion, would you just remember him? Would you thank Jesus for his work on the cross and ask him to help you to hope, trust, and believe again? Can we stand together? I'm going to say one more prayer, and then when we're done, you're released to take communion. If you see somebody who's not quite sure how to do communion here today, just bring them along with you. We're church family. Don't be shy, all right? So Father, we thank you for the word that's gone out, the work that you're doing in each heart here today. And God, I pray that you would seal it. And Lord, as we take communion, help us to remember you, Jesus. Remember your incredible work that is for us still today and what that means for us and how we can live. God, melt the cynicism in our heart because we know the ultimate hope of the gospel. So we thank you, God. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You're released to take communion. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.